Laudator Jesus Christus, praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News. And uh, I apologize if my voice sounds a little off today. I have caught the cold that's been going through my family. I'm on the tail tail end of the getting it. So apologize in advance if my voice sounds a little off today. But uh, I'm joining you as always with uh, Brian McCall, the Editor-in-Chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. I hope you're doing well. I am sorry to hear you're not feeling your best, but we'll we'll do our best. <laughs> yes, that's right. With God, by God's grace. So uh, we have several interesting stories to discuss with you today. Uh, we hope you're all having a good week. This week, our stories include: first off, as some of you may have heard, the Pope's comments uh, on retired Chinese Cardinal Joseph Zen, uh, who's Basically, it's a show trial, uh, which was set mm. to begin this week in Hong, Hong Kong, but has been postponed to next week. So the Pope was asked about this on his uh, return flight from Kazakhstan back to Rome. And during that same flight, he also shared his thoughts about his uh, trip to Kazakhstan, specifically the World uh, Religions Congress in which he participated. And we reported on at length last week. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, next up, we have news from Belgium, unfortunately not good news. The, the <laughs> bishops there have approved some sort of a formal, quote, blessing of homosexual unions, including some kind of a ceremony or a liturgy, like a ritual. That yeah, it's, it's all part of the, the one Roman rite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That, that mimics the sacrament of matrimony, <laughs> right, apparently. Right. And yeah. thankfully, uh, our our Good Shepherd Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano has issued a very strong, a very succinct but strong response to that news, which we will cover. We're also going to look, kind of do an overview of a document called the U.S. National Synthesis, which was published earlier this week by the USCCB, the U.S. Bishops, which essentially is a summary uh, of the results of the diocesan phase of the notorious synod on synodality as it's played out in the United States. And as we will see, there are some there are several familiar and concerning themes in this that basically either the people of God in the United States really are on the same page with Francis in many ways, or they're making it sound like it, one or the other. Uh, next, we're going to look at some encouraging news, a report from France, which shows that a significant number of French seminarians are wanting the traditional Latin mass and going into uh, former Ecclesia Dei communities for seminary as opposed to just diocesan seminaries. So that's some good news. And then finally, a public correction of a very grave error, which is present in the Pope's latest apostolic letter, Desiderio Desideravi, uh, the topic of which is the liturgical formation of the people of God. It's a follow-up document to Traditionis Custodis. Essentially, I wrote about it in detail in the September paper. So if you're a subscriber, you've probably already read my article on that. So, <laughs> excuse me, uh, before we get into all of the news, as always, we will spend a few moments pondering the things that are above, as St. Paul says, and look at the uh, church's liturgical calendar, try to ground ourselves in the spiritual riches of Holy Mother Church. So we are live streaming uh, Thursday, September 22nd, the year of our Lord 2022. And today on the church's traditional Roman calendar, it is the feast of St. Thomas of Villanova, who began as an Augustinian uh, monk and ended up as a bishop. He's also a confessor of the faith. 
who lived from 1486 to 1555. And uh, Dom Guéranger notes the providence of him being raised up in the order of St. Augustine right around the same time that Martin Luther was apostatizing. He notes in the liturgical year for today, quote, in 1517, a cruel blow fell upon the great Augustinian family. Luther, one of its members, raised the cry of revolt, which was to be echoed for centuries by every passion. But the illustrious order, which had unwittingly nurtured this child of evil, was none the less acceptable to God. And God deigned before long to demonstrate this for the consolation of institutes whose very excellence exposes unworthy subjects to more dangerous falls. It was at the first Vespers of All Saints that Luther broached at Wittenberg, uh, at Wittenberg his famous theses against indulgences and the authority of the Roman Pontiff. Within a month, on November 25th of the same year, Thomas of Villanova pronounced his vows at Salamanca, so in Spain, and filled up the place left vacant by the heresiarch. So that's a great example of the providence of God raising up someone in in an order that was being devastated by one of the one of history's worst heretics. Mm. I don't know if Brian had anything he wanted to add regarding St. Thomas of Villanova. No, a great model as we're going to talk about some European bishops later, a, a real model of a true bishop. <laughs> yes, exactly right. So looking ahead on the uh, Roman calendar for saints and feasts, tomorrow we'll be celebrating the Feast of St. Linus, a pope and martyr of the early church. He's actually mentioned in, uh, I forget which epistle of St. Paul, maybe Philippians, can't remember. Uh, but his feast is September 23rd. And then on Saturday, Our Lady of Ransom, September 24th. Next week, we celebrate several martyrs. On Tuesday, Saints Cosmas and Damien, who are some early Roman martyrs uh, mentioned in the Roman canon of the Mass. Um, next week, Wednesday, September 28th, is the Feast of St. Wenceslas, the, the famous martyr king. And then, of course, September 29th, which uh, actually I will mention I'll be out of town on that day and, and the 30th, that's something called the March for Catholics, but that is the Feast of the dedication of St. Michael, the Archangel, a great feast day. Yes, and the patron saint of law enforcement. So a good day to yes. thank, thank law enforcement uh, who are uh, actually faithful to enforcing the law, unlike the FBI. But <laughs> Yes, exactly right. Yes. So just to give a brief mention, so next week I, I will be tr doing some traveling. I'll be going to Peoria, Illinois for an event called the, the National March for Catholics, which is being organized by an, a group called Our Warpath. If you search on our website, catholicfamilynews.com for Our Warpath, you will find an interview with the head of the organization, Joseph Riggi. Uh, Brian interviewed him mm -hmm. a couple months back, I think it was, uh, to get an idea of what the march is about. Basically, the idea is that you know, all of these other groups in society, like the Women's March and Black Lives Matter, Antifa, all of these nefarious groups are having these public marches, public demonstrations to, for the promotion of error and sin and vice. Catholics should be taking to the streets to march uh, under the banner of Christ the King to publicly profess our faith uh, and, and doing it in the defense of the truth and beauty and goodness. So as Brian has displayed on the screen now, this is from the website of Our Warpath. Mm -hmm. I'll be 
among some other uh, very excellent speakers. Archbishop Vigano will be addressing, uh, not in person, unfortunately, but through a video message. Um, also, John Henry Weston of LifeSite News and uh, a gentleman named Doug Barry, as well as Father James Altman. So it should be a great event. I'll be speaking on the 29th with John Henry Weston. And then uh, Friday, September 30th is when the actual march will take place in downtown Peoria. Yes, seems so, like a great, great event. If you're near, you can get into the area in Illinois. Uh, it seems like it's going to be great. It's, it's very much modeled on the March for Life um, in terms of the format, the way it's done. But rather than being very narrowly focused on just the, the life issue, it's a, a broader march to give public witness to Christ the King and to, Catholic, and to Catholicism. So yes, uh, really hope, encourage anyone who's able to make it to, to be there and uh, say hello to Matt when you're there. Yes, and I'll also be uh, manning a vendor table at the event. So if, if you're there, please stop by and say hello. I'd love to meet you in person. Yes, yes. So, All right. um, oh, Go no, sorry. Good. No, I de definitely uh, watch the interview. It's a really good and uh, interesting. Um, you know, to hear it's all very much organized by young people. Uh, Joe Riggy is in his, you know, I don't know, mid 20s, would be my guess. Uh, so a lot of really young, enthusiastic traditional Catholics who, uh, who are there and, um, you know, doing this. And before we get into the next story, one little follow up I was thinking to share from last week, because uh, we mm -hmm. reported, as you know, on the Queen's death and, and, uh, the accession of Charles III. So her funeral was on Monday. And there's, I think, a little interesting anecdote I saw from it. Um, world leaders were there from all over, um, including uh, Joe Biden. And just in one humiliation after another of our country, he showed up late to the funeral. And you can see footage of him having to be held out by the guards. They said, well, you can't come in. You're late. And then he gets allowed, finally allowed in. And he has to sit in the back because they gave away his seat because he was late. <laughs> Wow. And he has to be led to his seat by his wife. He's kind of wandering around the abbey. And it just, again, on the level of, you know. Well, I saw some footage on social media that people were uh, chanting a particular phrase in the streets <laughs> of London when he drove by that we can't repeat on this show. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's yes. A, it's equivalent of Let's Go Brandon. Let's Go Brandon. You'll, yes. You'll know the origin of Let's Go Brandon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but uh, again, you know, the, the most solemn, you know, international diplomatic event of the the year. <laughs> and he gets there late. Uh, just had wow. just it, a little anecdote that sums it all up. Yes. But in any event, moving on to our first story, uh, Francis in the Clouds. <laughs> yes. So as as has become his custom and kind of a really a hallmark of his papacy, he gives these in-flight press conferences, usually after he's concluded a visit somewhere and on, his, on the way back to Rome is where he has some interesting things to say. So we're going to focus on two of the, the questions that he was asked, the first of which is about Cardinal Joseph Zen. So just to set the stage for this question, as you'll recall, last week we, were, we reported that Pope Francis the, one of the main features of his public remarks was championing religious freedom. I'll just give you a couple of quotes mm -hmm. that we shared last week. He said, religious freedom represents the best channel for civil coexistence. He also said during the, um, uh, the World Religions Congress he attended, quote, an essential condition for genuinely human and integral development is religious freedom. Religious freedom is a basic, primary, and inalienable right, 
needing to be promoted everywhere. Note, everywhere. One that may not be restricted merely to freedom of worship. Each person has the right to render public testimony to his or her own creed, proposing it, proposing it without ever imposing it. So he mentioned religious freedom numerous times. So the, the journalist, um, Elise Allen of Crux magazine, asked him, quote, this is during the, the flight back to Rome on September 15th. Yesterday at the Congress, so September 14th at the Congress, you spoke about the importance of religious freedom. As you know, on the same day the president of China arrived in the city, meaning Nur Sultan, uh, the capital of Kazakhstan, where there has been great concern about this issue for so long, especially now with the trial that is going forward against Cardinal Zinn. Do you consider the trial against him a violation of religious freedom? So let's pause there for a moment and talk about what is this trial? Uh, the same journalist who asked the question published an article based on her question and the Pope's answer for Crux, and she explains, <clears throat> a highly anticipated trial against Chinese Cardinal Joseph Zen and five other defendants has been delayed, but is expected to move forward this week in Hong Kong. And I saw from the pillar that uh, the trial actually won't begin until next week, Monday. But she goes on to explain, Cardinal Zen, 90 years old, and five others were arrested in May under a Beijing-imposed national security law for allegedly colluding with foreign forces. In other words, really trumped up charges, basically, to have a pretext to, to imprison him and persecute him. Specifically, uh, Mrs. Allen says, they are charged with failing to apply for local security. Uh, society registration for the now defunct 612 Humanitarian Fund between July 16, 2019 and August 31, 2021. Each of the defendants pleaded not guilty after their arrest in May, and Zen himself was released on bail shortly after his May 11th arrest. So regarding this law, uh, she explains in her article, Hong Kong's national security law, imposed by Beijing despite mass protests against it, went into effect June 30, 2020, and bans activities described as treason, secession, sedition, subversion, foreign interference, and terrorism. It also stipulates that whenever it deems it necessary, the Chinese central government in Beijing can establish agencies to help Hong Kong, so-called help, fulfill its security requirements. So essentially, if you're doing anything that the communist Chinese Communist Party doesn't like, then you're a criminal. That's that's the long and short of it. Um, so back to her question, you know, she asked the Pope, do you consider the trial against him a violation of religious freedom? Because Cardinal Zen is very outspoken for the freedom of the church in China, as well as, you know, the democratic process in Hong Kong, trying to preserve that and protect it from the communists in Beijing. This is how the Pope responded, quote, to understand China takes a century and we do not live for a century. <laughs> okay. In, in order to understand, we have chosen the path of dialogue, open to dialogue. There is also a bilateral Vatican Chinese commission that is going well, he says, Slowly, because the Chinese pace is slow, they have an eternity to go forward. They are a people of endless patience. 
He continues, and here in the Vatican, there is a dialogue commission that is going well, chaired by Cardinal Perelin, the Secretary of State, who is the person right now who knows the most about China and dialogue with the Chinese. Now, specifically regarding Cardinal Zen, we read in this interview transcript, quote, qualifying China as undemocratic, Pope Francis says, I do not identify with that because it's such a complex country. So you heard what I just described to you about what's going on in China, and he doesn't—he doesn't, he doesn't want to identify it as undemocratic because it's complex. Well, and again, notice he doesn't answer the question asked. He—he right. he doesn't answer: Is this a violation of religious freedom? And, and this is his answer to everything. He doesn't. Oh, it's complex. You can't really. There's no really. Well, this per, this prince of the church, cardinal of the church, is arrested, and he's. Uh, being an apologist for the communists. So what does that right. tell you? Cardinal Zen is an enemy of the communists and of Pope Francis, right? The communists and Pope Francis are on the same side here, essentially, because he's defending right. them uh, and and not even answering the journalist's question. Right. So he does say specifically regarding Cardinal Zen, quote, Cardinal Zen is going to trial these days, I think, as if he's not <laughs> certain about it. And he says what he feels, and you can see that there are limitations there, i.e., I'm throwing him under the bus. It's his problem if he says things that offend the communists. Uh, for his part, he says, I try to support the path of dialogue. Wow. Not the cardinal. I mean, this is almost yeah. like when he made that comment about Cardinal Burke, like, haha, he's in the hospital with COVID back when right. Cardinal Burke was sick. sick. He's basically saying, that's yeah, Zen's own fault. He said some things and, right. you know, it's his problem. Uh, this is, you know, this is what he's doing uh, to defend uh, a cardinal of the of the church. And all so of much for, course, so much for religious freedom. Right. And all of this, of course, is intimately bound up with the so-called provisional agreement between the Holy See and China that was signed September 22nd, 2018 and was renewed two years later, I think, to the date and which Pope Francis told this told Reuters this past July, he hopes will be renewed yet again uh, next month in October. Mm -hmm. So viewers may recall that Cardinal Zen, as I mentioned, has been one of the most outspoken critics of this terrible provisional agreement. And he's traveled to Rome three times over the past four years to advocate for the underground, meaning the true church in China, and to plead with Pope Francis to reconsider this horrible agreement. Uh, regarding the details of this still secret agreement, you may recall, basically all we know from the Vatican is that, quote, it concerns the nomination of bishops, a question of great importance for the life of the church, and creates the conditions for greater collaboration at the bilateral level. That's from a 2018 press mm -hmm. statement from the Vatican. We also know, however, from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, that disgraced former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick played a significant role in negotiating this wicked agreement. As you may yes. recall, McCarrick told Vigano while in Rome, uh, June 20th, 2013, according to Vigano's initial testimony, quote, this is McCarrick, the Pope received me yesterday. Tomorrow I am going to China, end quote. So ultimately, the problem with all of this collaboration between the Church of Christ and an instrument of the devil, which is the Chinese Communist Party, that such collaboration is not possible. You can't make a deal with the devil. Well, and that's why Archbishop Vigano says the Vatican, and the Francis Vatican in particular, has become kind of a bureau of the Communist Party. It's become just, it works 
essentially from what we can tell for them. Like he's, as I said, he, his whole speech was an apologist for what the communists are doing to Cardinal's end uh, rather than right. the defense of the Cardinal. So he's, who's, who's, who is his master? Right. Yeah. And I guess the, uh, the question we can ask before we, you know, to wrap up this story, why is Pope Francis so amiable towards communist China and really communism in general? And I think we know the answer is that, you know, several things from his growing up years, he was a, became a fan of liberation theology, which we know from communist defectors mm -hmm. was created by the Soviet KGB and brought into Latin American countries as a means of subverting the church there, making people think that all of that Marxism is a legitimate form of Christianity, which it's not, obviously. And he said, we also know from past statements of his, uh, July 2015, for example, during his visit to, well, this is another incident. He's in, uh, during a, a visit to Ecuador, Bolivia, and Paraguay, Pope Francis was given a blasphemous hammer and sickle crucifix by President Evo Morales, the communist leader of Bolivia. And when asked about the incident during the flight back to Rome, he praised uh, the Marxist priest who designed it, uh, even admitting that it's based on a, quote, theology that uses Marxism. And Francis said, quote, under this kind of hermeneutic, meaning liberation theology, I understand this work. For me, it isn't an offense. And he also reportedly told um, Eugenio Scalfari in November 2016, uh, it is the communists who think like Christians. That's unbelievable. That's, that's unbelie an unbelievable statement from a Roman pontiff that communists are the ones who really think like Christians. So Pope Francis has a long history of being very favorable to socialism, communism, Marxism, and it's ultimately bound up with what Our Lady came to Fatima to warn us about with the errors of Russia and the Pope, uh, the uh, beginning with, you know, at the Count, Second Vatican Council with the the Metz Pact and the, Ostpol the policy of Ostpolitik and refusing to formally condemn communism at the council. It's all all wrapped up in that so um the other portion of this uh in-flight press conference we want to focus on is francis was asked about again he was asked a question and really didn't answer it he was asked um, for catholics living in kazakhstan uh, where the context is predominantly muslim how can evangelization be carried out in this context this was asked by a journalist representing ewtn so he doesn't answer the question about evangelization at all he simply says let me pause to consider the religious meeting meaning the congress that he participated in someone was criticizing and they said to me this is fomenting this is causing relativism to grow now this is likely a reference to uh, the critique of bishop athanasius snyder that we reported on last week who described the the world religions congress as basically the danger of it being like a supermarket of religions is the phrase that he used yes. that, that ultimately undermines the faith. So Francis goes on to say, there's nothing of relativism. Everyone had their say, everyone respected each other's position, but we dialogue as brothers. So he's talking about the, the World Religions Congress, but that's not what he was asked. He was asked, how can we evangelize in Kazakhstan? But that doesn't seem to be of much interest to him. Uh, he goes on to say, I don't give up my faith if I speak to another's faith. On the contrary, I honor my faith because another listens to it and I listen to theirs. Except for the fact that we reported last week 
that he didn't mention Christ or Catholicism at the right. Congress. So <laughs> he wasn't honoring his faith because others were listening to the gospel. He was quoting extensively from that uh, Kazakh poet and philosopher. He didn't mention the name of our Lord once. So uh, Francis brought up the same theme during his general audience in Rome yesterday, where the focus of which uh, he would devoted his entire address to uh, his trip to Kazakhstan. And he, he mentioned again, the main reason for the trip was to take part in the Congress of Leaders of World and Traditional Religions. Um, he said, this initiative has been carried out for 20 years by the authorities of the country, which presents itself to the world as a place of meeting and dialogue. He goes on to say, the Congress discussed and approved the final declaration, which stands in continuity with the one signed in Abu Dhabi in February 2019 on human fraternity. So it's very significant. He's drawing attention to the fact that in his mind, there is continuity between the final declaration of the World Religions Congress and the Abu Dhabi Declaration, the document on human fraternity, which says, quote, the pluralism and the diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom, which is objectively heretical. God does not will the diversity of religions. He wills one religion. Mm. And that error was repeated, as we reported last week in the final declaration from the World Religions Congress. He makes another interesting connection in this, in yesterday's uh, general audience. He says, quote, I like to interpret this step forward as the fruit of a journey that starts from afar. I am thinking, of course, of the historic interfaith meeting for peace convened by John Paul II in Assisi in 1986, much criticized, Francis says, by people who lacked vision, maybe more by people who actually care about the integrity of the <laughs> Right. <laughs> I was going to say who lack faith, right? Right. He says, I am thinking of the far-sighted gaze of John the 23rd and Paul the 6th, and also that of great souls of other religions. I limit myself to recalling Mahatma Gandhi, kind of a random reference because it has nothing to do with Kazakhstan. Gandhi obviously was from India. India, yeah. Uh, he, and he was assassinated in January 1948, which makes me wonder if he has Gandhi in mind when he went on to say, quote, but how, excuse me, <coughs> how can we not remember so many martyrs, men and women of all ages, languages, and nations who paid with their lives for their fidelity to the God of peace and fraternity? So is he attempting to equate Gandhi with a martyr? I certainly uh, hope not. I, but that seems, seems to like be it. the implication. So concerning well, and again, notice his his references. I mean, Vatican II is really a ground zero for these people, right? John Paul II, Paul VI, uh, and uh, John the Twenty Third. But you know, absolutely in in rupture with every pope before that. So he doesn't even you know he he everything goes back to John the Twenty Third. That's the ground zero for them. Yes, year zero. Yes, exactly. So those those are his thoughts about the. Uh, the World Religions Congress in Kazakhstan, and I think it's pretty clear that he was using these as opportunities um, to respond in a kind of a passive-aggressive way to Bishop Schneider, uh, some of his remarks, because he says, yes. uh, what else did he say? I know he mentioned that someone criticizing him um, also in his uh, 
general audience yesterday as well. So I think it's pretty clear that that was yes. definitely a reference That's to Bishop Schneider. So we yeah. thank Bishop Schneider once again for standing up for the truth, uh, the truth of the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. Yes. Well, moving from Rome uh, to Belgium, uh, and Belgium you know, has been a hotbed for a long time of dissent, going back to Cardinal Daniels and, and uh, uh, Cardinal Leonard. So uh, before that, hello to Dr. Gemmel from New Zealand. Welcome to, uh, thank you for joining us uh, from the other yes. side of the world. It's nice to see you. But uh, it was announced uh, this week by the bishops of Belgium. And Belgium is a, a sort of um, dual lingual, lingual cultural country. There's a sort of French-speaking side and a, uh, a Flemish-speaking side. Um, and both sets of bishops, right, those from uh, Brussels the, and the Flemish uh, part, published a document uh, promoting a liturgy for blessing homosexual persons and... Uh, a blessing for a liturgical liturgical service for same-sex couple blessings, including prayers, scriptures, readings, uh, parts in which the couples quote express before God how they are committed to one another. Um, and again, the document is uh, not in in English, uh, so any of our, our Belgian uh, readers uh, or, or viewers, if you uh, have any knowledge of the document, please do let us know, because I'm just relying on some uh, reports from news outlets who summarize the, the document. But uh, again, it sounds like a, a liturgical uh, ceremony um, by bishops of the, uh, in, in, in Belgium. Um, they announced each diocese uh, will appoint a person as a, quote, concrete response and fulfillment to the desire to give explicit attention to the situation of homosexual persons, their parents and families, in the conduct of policy. Pope Francis also expressed explicitly in his April 2016 apostolic exhortation on the pastoral care of families, Amoris Laetitiae. And ultimately, they've received some uh, criticism. They reply that this all goes back to Amoris Laetitiae. Um, they rely uh, uh, on this for what they are uh doing in in this latest uh latest uh move mm -hmm. by the the belgian bishops now again let's let's orient ourselves here i mean this is impossible the church cannot bless sin the church cannot bless yeah. sinful behavior it's like saying oh i'm a polygamist commit polygamist come in and bless my polygamy or i'm an adulteress Come and bless my adultery. I mean, the church, I'm an, you know, an axe murderer. Could you bless my axe for me, Father? <laughs> no, the church cannot bless uh, sin. And so it is, it is just beyond the competence of anyone. Whenever they write these little liturgies, these little things, whatever they are, uh, of, of no effect. Because the, right. it just cannot, you know, cannot uh, uh, happen. Uh, now, even beyond that, even in the reign of Pope Francis, in February of 2021, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith was asked a dubia, can the church bless these sinful relationships? And the answer was in the negative. It is beyond the power of the church to do it. And the document states, February 2021, that it was given approval by uh, Pope Francis uh, himself. Yeah. Um, and so even in you know their own current 
documents, the Vatican says this is not possible. Um, now, the problem with this is sort of obviously manifold. The ultimate problem is the reversal of the ends of marriage. So starting in Vatican II, when the, they now talk about marriage as primarily about love and expressing love between the spouses, which was a secondary end of marriage to help the spouses fulfill the primary end, which was the, the procreation, rearing, and education of children. Right? Since they've reversed them, well, now, by their logic, well, if these two people love each other, then it's good, and it's fulfilling the end of marriage. And so we have to bless it and support it. So this all goes back to action follows thinking, right? Action follows belief. And when they destroyed the or proper ordering of the ends of marriage, this union, these acts, are in no way capable of being ordered to the primary end of marriage, procreation of children. It is impossible. You need genetic material from a man and a woman. Right. Impossible, right? Once you do away with that, then you say, well, but the end is their love. They have love. So, you know, you have to let them express their love. Um, when you make the love of two people the um, uh, the focus. Mm -hmm. Now, it's, it's interesting, on obviously, because now this is a complete defiance of church teaching, of recent um, uh, com formerly congregation, now to Castry for the Doctrine of the Faith, directives. But this is how Francis works, right? Francis allows a document to go out and say, nothing to see here, nothing's changing, can't be done, but then tolerates its abuse, tolerates people doing it. That's what's mm -hmm. going on in the synodal way, as we reported last week. Oh, no, no, don't do that. He sends them a letter. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, go ahead and do that. And he just lets them keep right. doing it. This is how he advances the ball of radicalism um, through just a saying, issuing statements that people who want to bury their head in the sand say, oh, go, the Pope said this or the congregation said this, but then allow it to just go to the next level and make it a dead dead letter. Well, Secondly, speaking of, uh, I was just going to say, Pope Francis, referring back to his uh, younger years and growing up in Argentina, yes. it's very similar to the dictator Juan Perón, who would yes. tell people, whichever group he was speaking to, he'd tell them what they wanted to hear, essentially. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so then the second level of interest for this is, as I said, it touches the liturgy. So again, Pope Francis has gotten up on his high horse, must have unity in the liturgy, only no abuses, must have just the one Roman rite promulgated by Paul VI, John Paul II. And, and you know, we have to get rid of these Latin masses because they are, a, you know, an aberration. <laughs> well, here the bishops have done, you know, made up their own liturgy. They've just made up their own, again, it has no effect, but made it up. And he's not, you won't see Cardinal Roach saying, whoa, stop, this isn't the one Roman right. Stop, you Belgians. So it exposes the hypocrisy. This whole idea of unity in uh, the liturgy is just a pretext, right, for what they uh, want to uh, what they want to achieve. So they talk about unity in the liturgy as a way to suppress the traditional Latin mass. Uh, however, um, they then go on and let the Belgians do whatever they want to do. Again, they're immediately, this should have been met with a response from the Vatican, withdraw this immediately. But as right. we know in Germany, they didn't, you know, promulgate their own liturgy, but they just went around doing it. They just kept doing it in Germany and the Vatican did nothing. So my prediction, there will be nothing done uh, to the Belgian bishops because this advances the ball. It pushes the, the ball down. And then Francis, remember what it is? We have to deal with reality. 
Let's deal with the reality here. So now yeah. I'll say, oh, well, if this is happening, Germany, Belgium, we can't deny reality. We have to, to deal with the facts as they are. And this is what people want. This is what they're doing. Uh, and then he will rationalize it uh, later. He's already done much of what he could to undercut the negative judgment of the Congregation for the formerly Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith Declaration, just which barely with the ink dry just over a year and a half ago. Uh, so this is exactly a pattern that the, the radicals have followed. Uh, this is what happened with communion in the hand. Paul VI said, can't do it. They did it. Then he said, okay, well, now that you're doing it, it's okay. We'll let you continue it. Um, right. This is exactly how it was in the Netherlands and Belgium where that was happening then. It's it's a tried and true model for them, and it continues uh, to to uh, work. Yes, definitely so. Well, as so as I mentioned in the introduction, thankfully Archbishop Vigano has uh, yes. spoken up in opposition to this uh, terrible state of affairs in Belgium, and he released a a brief but very powerful statement that we have published on our uh, website, catholicfamilynews.com. You can go visit there and read it in full. I'll just give you a yeah. Yeah, okay. I was just, yeah, go ahead. Good. Um, so he says, with great scandal for the salvation of souls and the honor of the Church of Christ, the Bishops' Conference of Belgium has approved and published a right for the, quote, blessing of homosexual unions, brazenly contravening the immutable teaching of the Catholic magisterium, which considers such unions intrinsically perverse and which, as such, not only may not bless them, but rather must condemn them as contrary to the natural moral law. He goes on to say, the process of doctrinal and moral dissolution carried out by the Bergolian sect, as he calls them, continues at an unstoppable pace, heedless of the confusion it causes among the faithful and the consequent incalculable damages to souls. So it's a great statement from Archbishop Vigano available on our website. Yes. So do please read the whole thing. It's short. It's about a page uh, and very clear uh, explanation of the, the scandal that is going on. And thank yes. him. His excellence is uh, grace for, uh, for doing what the Pope should be doing. Exactly right. All right. Well, interestingly, the, the whole notion of, reality is more important than ideas we'll see that definitely plays into our next story which is about this u.s uh, synod synthesis uh, officially called the the u.s national synthesis which is a, as i mentioned in the introduction a summary of the results of the diocesan phase of the synod on synodality here in the united mm -hmm. states and we see very several very uh, familiar and very telling and concerning themes. We don't have time to cover all of them, but just to give you kind of an overview. Uh, the document, you know, has different sections. The first one talks about over the course of the diocesan phase, uh, which began, I think, in either in late 2021 or earlier this year and went through the summer, something like that, um, several enduring wounds emerged, the document says. Many of these wounds have been inflicted not only by individual members of the church, but often by the institution itself. Chief among the enduring wounds that afflict the people of God in the United States is the still unfolding effects of the sexual abuse crisis, which sadly they continue to refuse to admit the underlying cause of yes. that crisis, uh, as Archbishop Vigano has noted on several occasions. 
The sin and crime of sexual abuse has eroded not only trust in the hierarchy and the moral integrity of the church, but also created a culture of fear that keeps people from entering into relationship with one another and thus uh, from experiencing the sense of belonging and connectedness for which they yearn. So that's what uh, kind of a summary of what it says about clerical sexual abuse. Next, we get to uh, another enduring wound identified as liturgical division. <coughs> Excuse me. It says another enduring wound widely reflected in synod consultations, which are essentially like those listening sessions at parishes and mm. compiling all these uh, talking points, was the experience that the church is deeply divided. Well, that's certainly the case. Participants felt this division as a profound sense of pain and anxiety. As one participant shared, the divisive political ideologies present in our society have seeped into all aspects of our lives. Division regarding the celebration of the liturgy was reflected in synodal consultations. Sadly, celebration of the Eucharist is also experienced as an area of division within the church. The most common issue regarding the liturgy is the celebration of the pre-conciliar mass. The limited access to the 1962 Missal was lamented. So it's good that they at least included the fact that people mm. are lamenting uh, the, the persecution of the traditional Latin mass throughout the United States. It seems to be prevalent here in particular. Mm. Uh, next, there was a note on the division within the American hierarchy, the bishops of the United States. Uh, it says, quote, <coughs> excuse me, many regional syntheses. So I guess I should have mentioned a uh, part of this diocesan phase of the synod. The entire United States was divided. All the dioceses were divided up into regions. And then someone was in charge of compiling the regional synthesis. And then they had to compile that like condense it down into this national synthesis. So many regional syntheses cited the perceived lack of unity among the bishops in the United States, and even of some individual bishops with the Holy Father as a source of grave scandal. Uh, this perceived lack of, it's interesting that they emphasize <laughs> perceived. No, it is very real. It's lack real. Of unity yes. Within the hierarchy seems to in turn justify division at the local level. Well, this obviously brings to mind uh, the message of Our Lady of Akita from 1973 that you will see cardinal opposing no cardinal, against, bishop yeah. opposing bishop, the smoke of Satan will, uh, the work of the devil will infiltrate into the church. We certainly see that. So next the document goes on and here's where we start seeing the very telltale signs of, of uh, the mark of the lavender mafia, I guess you could say, on this synodal process. Regarding marginalized groups, the document says those who experience marginalization and thus a lack of representation in the church fall into two broad groups. The first includes those marginalized who are, are made vulnerable by their lack of social and or economic power. So it goes on to list like immigrant communities, ethnic minorities, those who are undocumented, mm -hmm. the unborn, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the second group, it says, includes those who are marginalized because circumstances in their own lives are experienced as impediments to full, partition, full participation in the life of the church. So notice how it's presuming or it's the way that it's phrasing this. It's that these circumstances in their own lives are somehow out of their control. Exactly. And it goes on to say, among these are members of the LGBTQ plus community, 
persons who have been divorced or those who have remarried without a declaration of nullity, as well as individuals who have civilly married but who never married in the church, as if all of the above is somehow out of the control of those people who choose to live you know, a lifestyle that contradicts church teaching. Uh, it's not the same as some of the other groups mentioned in the first group. So now we get to this uh, under the heading of a welcoming church, and that's really the crux of this story, which <laughs> when they say welcoming church, they really mean accommodation of sin and error, basically. Uh, the document, this national synthesis says, the most common desire named in the synodal cons consultations was to be a more welcoming church where all members of the, the people of God can find accompaniment on the journey. So definitely very much Francis speak, synodal speak. Mm -hmm. um, and here's where we get to this idea about realities are greater than ideas. Uh, people noted that the church seems to prioritize doctrine over people uh, and that's Francis and right yeah, there. <laughs> rules and regulations over lived reality. So Francis, he often drops this quote uh, he has over the last several years of his pontificate, realities are greater than ideas. And it's actually found in his first major pontifical text, his 2013 document, Evangelii Gaudium, where there are three paragraphs devoted to this subject. And he, he says the phrase there, and he's repeated it many times, realities are greater than ideas, which essentially means people's concrete circumstances are more important than revealed truth. I mean, that's how mm -hmm. I understand it. I don't know if yep. Brian yes. has any further he wanted to add to that. Uh, exactly. <laughs> this is how it links you know, to the other stories. We, oh, well, people are committing this sin. Well, they are, so we just have to accept it, as opposed to calling them to perfection, as our Lord came, you know, came to do. Right. And, and really, the only sin that it leaves you know, is division, being divisive. Right. Uh, and but what did our Lord tell us? I came to divide mother right. in law against daughter in law, right? Um, because the truth is naturally divisive. Divisive. It, yes. If you are not with me, you are against me, right? These are right. our Lord's saying. He wasn't just here to all get together and sing kumbaya, right? He said, be part of my mystical body. So it is an invitation to unity, but unity in what things? One faith, sacraments, and unified government of the church. Right. If you stray from those, as the Belgian heretics are doing, you have broken the unity, and the division is there. And for those who remain in the unity of the mystical body of Christ to acknowledge the division, it's like saying, my, my arm was cut off. I can pretend it's, oh, let's just pretend my arm's really together, even though it's cut off, and I'll just pretend it's here, as opposed to acknowledging that there is now a dead member that's been, been cut right. off. Now, again, thanks supernaturally, that member can rejoin the church through repentance and sacramental confession right so and then again with all of the the alphabet soup issue it says the uh, the hope for a welcoming church expressed itself clearly the document says with the desire to accompany with authenticity lgbtq plus persons and their families well authentic company oh, be you you know you're created by god uh, this vice does not define you. You need to turn away from sin and repent and live a chaste life as everyone does. That's yes. authentic accompaniment, not uh, accepting and accommodating the sin, but calling people to turn away from sin. Yes. The other interesting aspect uh, that 
the other interesting topic that is in this national synthesis document is a specific call for the ordination of women, and it's not corrected at all. <laughs> uh, it says, nearly all synodal consultations shared a deep appreciation for the powerful impact of women religious who have consistently led the way in carrying out the mission of the church. Likewise, there was recognition for the centrality of women's unparalleled contributions to the life of the church, particularly in local communities. It goes on. There was a desire for stronger leadership, discernment, and decision-making roles for women. And it quotes one of the regional synthesis documents. People mentioned a variety of ways in which women could exercise leadership, including preaching and ordination as deacon or priest, which is impossible. The same thing as it's impossible to bless a homosexual union. Um, goes on to say ordination for women emerged not primarily as a solution to the problem of the priest shortage but as a matter of justice and again there was no correction of this heresy yes yes in the document now and again we have to be careful with this document because we know it's a, you know it is the product of a, a person who could be a manipulator right and they're right. they're supposed to be summarizing this but as we know the the survey of the bishops was manipulated to justify traditionalist custodians. So notice how clever he is. Starts off with almost everybody noted, noted how important the contribution of religious women are to the church. Okay, I think everybody can agree with that. But then he's letting you believe, moving further from that, that everybody asked for ordination of women. So again, we don't know, very vaguely worded, what we just heard. Is that one or two people? We, we don't really know. He covers up but makes it, puts it in the same amount of prominence as a, a very generic statement that the role of you know women religious in the life of the church is important, that all of a sudden there's an outcry for, for that. And again, as Matt said, uncorrected. Well, this is, right. you may want this, but this is not possible. The closest thing to a correction, which is not a correction, comes in the concluding section called Engaging Discernment. It says, quote, at this moment in the synodal journey, one may agree or disagree with some of the perceptions heard and expressed, such as what we just heard, but we cannot assume they have no importance in lived reality. There it is again. There it is. There it is again. The key. Well... <laughs> More on the Synod obviously will come, but let's talk about lived reality uh, because there was a really interesting uh, article uh, republished by Rorate Chaley uh, on September the 15th, so the end of last week, by Jean-Pierre Mogendre uh, in Renaissance Catholique, which was really reporting on the state of um, things in in, in France. And again, he's talking about in light of traditionis custodis, what's going on in the uh, traditional world in, in France. Um, he does say there's been a decline of traditional masses, not, not enormous, but they, they definitely have uh, declined. But what he shows is interesting is it's really in moving in the opposite trend from uh, the numbers in terms of seminarians. So on the, the conference of um, in 2022, according to the website of the French Bishop Conference, 77 for the entire country of France, the first daughter of the church, 77 secular priests were ordained. Uh, so that would be priests for diocese. Um, and there were 12 other French priests, but I'm not really sure what, um, that were uh, three for the Institute of Christ the King, 
sovereign priest, three for the fraternity of St. Peter, six for the fraternity of Saint, Society of St. Pius X. So the, these 12 traditional ordained uh, priests for the traditional mass were 14% of all the ordinations of France across the entire uh, country. And that um, doesn't include uh, those numbers, the four ordinations in Toulon Tulu, in, uh, that, that you know where we reported on earlier in the year that were uh, canceled. But then he also goes on um, that the ordinations, those 77 that were not for the traditionalist communities per se, were concentrated in a very few number of dioceses and communities. Uh, St. Martin's community, 14, Paris, which has historically been very open with traditional mass as many of them von versailles right um and what's interesting about that is again those are the more at least somewhat conservative dioceses for uh seminarians and and so even though they're 77 they're not evenly spread around they're really just concentrated and that means that many of these dioceses have have uh zero they then report that the median age of priests in france is 75 years wow. with a death toll yearly of 600 to 800 so you might think oh 75 priests that sounds good but every year there's between 600 and 800 priests dying and you're only replacing them with 75 that that's how bad the situation is whereas and so the the, the they're declining to just a few and a few uh dioceses whereas the traditional orders are on the uh the the increase um, and he attributes this author, Traditionos Cassodas, to that. So he says the communities where traditional mass is celebrated, and here he speaks of a broader number than before. He includes Institute of Christ the King, Fraternity, Society St. Pius X, and the Bon Pastor, Institute of the Good Shepherd, uh, as well as the Missionaries of Divine Mercy, had 95 entrants compared to 69 last year. So it's 69 new seminarians, uh, and then that jumped to uh, 95, right, including 38 Frenchmen. Um, this is important, right, because these communities, that means they're growing, right? Uh, you know, this, this sort of uh, movement uh, toward that where the, the diocesan seminaries are moving in the, uh, the other uh, direction. Um, he talks about these uh, seminarians, uh, even the, the few diocesan ones that are left, have in fact more or less familiar with the traditional mass uh, in their families, in their personal uh, lives. So they've been going to the traditional mass, even those who are in the diocesan uh, seminaries. Mm -hmm. So again, if you were to look at this and look at the reality on the ground, right, the reality of lived experience, <laughs> it would be the traditional communities, more traditional, the, the diocese where there's more traditional masses, there are more seminarians. There are more ordinations. So that reality would say we should be promoting the traditional mass, not um, just trying to reduce it. But uh, and again, this is France as a microcosm. It's really just anecdotal about, about France. But it is really uh, showing that this whole lived experience thing is a facade. They don't really care unless the lived experience they can point to is something that fits their political agenda. Right. So. And I thought something else significant from this Rorate Celi piece, the author notes, with the motu proprio traditionis custodis, Pope Francis has made it almost impossible for a new diocesan priest to celebrate the traditional liturgy. So he's actually working against himself in a certain way. Yes. Because, uh, prior to traditionis custodis, a young man who 
was more traditional minded, but not necessarily opposed to going into mm-hmm. seminary for a diocese, but because he knew that he would have the opportunity to say the traditional yes. mass at least once in a while with that taken away seminary, you know, prospective seminarians are now saying, well, if I can't do this in a diocesan setting, then I'm not going to bother applying there. I'll just go to one of the former Ecclesia Day communities or the Society of St. Pius X. Absolutely. Yes, essentially. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left, but our, our last story is a, a letter that actually both Matt and I have uh, have signed. Uh, again, this is yet another one of these sort of open letters about the crisis in the church, but it really focuses on a, a radical uh, error that we did report on before, but it's good to returning uh, returning uh, to. This was in Francis's big apology, and not an apology in the sense of saying sorry for, but defending right. his polemic, defending traditionis custodes, and right. that is his uh, document, his personal reflections, as he described them, uh, <laughs> on the liturgy. And in it, there's a statement that says the following, the world still does not know it, but everyone is invited to the supper of the wedding of the Lamb. To be admitted to the feast, all that is required is the wedding garment of faith, which comes from the hearing of his word. And then it's quoted in the actual Italian to, to make clear, right. we're not playing word games here. Now, this is essentially a, a heretical error that has been condemned by, uh, among others, the Council of Trent, to say that you to, to receive communion, all that is necessary is that you have the faith. Well, that's not true. If you go to any traditional mass, maybe to a wedding or a funeral where they know there's some non-Catholics, you'll hear every priest say, in order to receive communion, you must be a baptized practicing Catholic who is in the state of grace, meaning not aware of any unrepentant mortal sin, and has fasted for at least one hour. So there are requirements beyond faith. So I will read Canon uh, 11 from uh, the... Uh, council, this is from the, the Council of Trent. If anyone says that faith alone is sufficient preparation for receiving the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, let him be anathema. You can't be yes. any more clear than that. So, what Pope Francis said, you can't say, according to the Council of Trent. It also mm-hmm. contradicts Canons 915 and 916, which I won't read, of the current code of canon law. So right. really what's what's the problem here is really really twofold. And and the letter focuses on the problem that actually the day uh the pope said these things he received Nancy Pelosi. Right. Someone who is uh clearly in a state of public sin by her support for right. the killing of children. And as we reported at the time she received when we got confirmation we she communion, received yes. communion in the Vatican. So Yes, at a mass in which he, not from him, but a mass where he was presiding. Now, again, what's important about this is it is the whole scandal that the letter points out of the reception of communion by public sinners that priests should refuse. But it even goes further than that to private sinners who are committing acts of homosexuality, who are committing acts of adultery, fornication, on and on and on, basically saying, well, as long as you believe in God, you can go to communion. Um, again, the priest isn't necessarily going to refuse because he doesn't know you're doing these things. You're not a public sinner. Uh, but really, this is what Amoris Laetitia was all about. As Francis loves to say, everything is connected. And really, that's what this is pointing out. Everything Francis is pushing is connected to basically reduce the faith, the, faith, the Catholic faith, down to a Protestant Lutheran idea, once saved, always saved. Right. Profess your faith in Christ and you're all, it's all done. You're done. 
Uh, and now you can go communion. You can, you know, and, and why can't Protestants receive communion? Well, they can if they have faith, which you know, faith without works, right, according to the, the parts of the Bible that Luther cut out, is dead. Right, Faith without works is dead. Um, and what you do, it is not just about the intellectual profession of faith. You must be followed and consistently in moral action. So right. again, really a very strong letter that that points out that this statement that should be all bishops of the world should be saying, Francis, you need to retract this. Um, right. There were three bishops, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, no surprise, Reni Henri Gracida, who is an emeritus bishop of Corpus Christi, excuse me, four bishops, uh, Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, yes. and auxiliary bishop uh, from the Netherlands, Robert so Mestersert. So I was just going to say, I, yeah, four. Yeah. I, I think this is the only, this is the first time that a, a local ordinary, the head, the current head of a diocese, yes. has signed on to one of these statements. So we definitely applaud uh, Bishop Strickland in particular for his courage and signing on to this statement. And also Father Gerald Murray, another uh, a priest yes. who many people are probably familiar with, a priest of the Archdiocese of New York who appears on uh, Raymond Arroyo's show on EWTN the world over pretty frequently. So lots yes. of other priests and, and scholars and journalists as well. And again, I've said to a lot of the critics of these similar letters in the past, do you really think this is going to change Francis's mind? Um, well, probably not. I mean, you're right. He's not going to read this and say, okay, I retract it. Fine. However, even for future generations of Catholics, it is very important that we that these letters are written and that we say someone stood up for the truth. That's and right. even for our own individual judgment. Well, what did you do when these things were said? Well, I'm only, I know I'm not the Pope. I can't, I can't correct this, but I did what I could do. So uh, more signatories have come into the letter, encourage others to sign to be a witness to the true Catholic faith. Yes, and I think there might also be a petition just for yes. anyone who wants to express their support for the the open statement uh, published by LifeSite News. So if you can you can go to lifesitenews.com to find that petition as well. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. So that brings us to our end of our sort of roundup of stories for for this week. Uh, we thank you for watching, and as always, if you enjoyed this free program, please like subscribe. Uh, to our channels and forward our videos and consider a subscription to Catholic Family News. We uh, welcome everyone. Thank you to all of you who watched live. Uh, these videos are posted recording. So next week when you're in Illinois at the March for Catholics, don't leave it. Just keep doing that and the, the recording will be here for you. So uh, right. please do stop by our booth. Say hello to, uh, to, to Matt when, uh, when you're there. Yes. And as always, we will conclude by uh, invoking Our Lady and entrusting all of our intentions to her maternal intercession. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou may put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. St. Thomas of Villanova. Pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, have a safe trip, Matt. Hope to hope you everything goes well in Illinois. And God bless everyone. Look forward to seeing you next time.
Yes, God bless you.